Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tourpreneur. My name is Mitch Bach, and this episode is part of our new Impact series in which we highlight not only fantastic tour operators, but operators who have initiatives and projects and small initiatives, large ideas to make the world a better place. I'm calling it our Impact series, and today I am here with Kat Hogan of Mercat Tours. Kat, a huge welcome. Hi, hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And I have to say, you are an operator in Edinburgh, Scotland, and I am the only member of Tourpreneur who is not Scottish. Are you okay talking to an American? <laughs> Very happy to, of course. You just have to come over and visit. Well, I will say, not only have I visited, uh, I've I probably walked past maybe you delivering a tour. Uh, I will say, though, if I did... I would not have understood what Americat was. Now, your name is Cat, but I had to Google what Americat was because all I knew was a meerkat, which I believe is like a rodent in Africa. So can you tell me, first of all, the name and a little bit about your tour company? <laughs> well, first of all, you're not the first uh, to mix us up with that little rodent um, I, I, and the compare the meerkat, so you know you are forgiven. Um, uh, market's actually um, the <clears throat> Scots word for market, and um, the market cross is an octagonal stone monument in the heart of Edinburgh, and there is in fact a market cross in every borough that was granted trading rights across Scotland. So towns and villages, cities, small and large. Um, had a market cross named because it was the main marketplace of the time, as I say, the trading spot. But from our point of view, if you were a visitor to Edinburgh, say three, four hundred years ago, then it would be to the market cross you would go to find yourself a, um, a caddy, not a golf caddy, but the original caddy, which was a guide and a local who would uh, meet you there. Uh, give you a warm welcome, uh, take a few coins and of course then lead you to wherever you wanted to go in the city, a bit like a taxi and give you stories along the way. So that's why we're Mercat Tours because we're recreating that tradition of the welcome at the Mercat Cross and the service of the welcome and the, um, uh, the visit around the city and of course we meet at the Mercat Cross. So that's where Mercat comes from. I love that. That's beautiful. And how long has Mercat Tours been in existence? We are almost 40. Uh, we did our first tour on the 1st of July, 1985. Wow. Okay. That makes you over 40 years old or almost, I guess. So I see when I visit your website uh, that you have a quote on your homepage. History is a damn good story. What it needs is damn good telling. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of the ethos of Meerkat? And I love quotes like that because I love fantastic storytelling, but tell me about what makes a Mercat tour so good or interesting. Um, well, you've absolutely gone to the heart of it. It's a brilliant question. Um, we actually started, Mercat actually started um, in a classroom um, in the 1970s when there was a history teacher in Edinburgh, in an Edinburgh high school, um, who was, the best description is a bit like, um, you know, Robin Williams in History Boys, you know, when he gets everybody up on the desks to make sure that they can see the world from a different view, a different perspective, that really kind of inspirational teacher. Well, that's what he was like. Um, and what he would do, uh, bearing in mind this was the 1970s and early 80s, he would take his class out of the classroom into the heart of Edinburgh because 
being a World Heritage Site and everything you know Edinburgh to be, it was the best classroom it could possibly be. Um, and his belief was history is a damn good story. What it needs is a damn good telling. And that's what he that's what he literally did every day teaching in the classroom. And it was when he was out taking his classes into Edinburgh that he suddenly realised that there was visitors jumping on the back of his class <laughs> because he thought it was a tour. He was a tour guide. And he saw the possibility, the opportunity of um, doing basically what he loved and did by day, but uh, for visitors to, the, uh, to Edinburgh. And so with uh, a number of partners, uh, other fellow history teachers, he took that mantra of giving history a damn good telling and set up Mercat Tours from the 1st of July, 1985. And he was, is my dad, Des Brogan. Uh, so, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it's really simple. Um, uh, it's what he always loved. It's what he always did. And he just did it for a different audience. Uh, but really, fundamentally, that's where and what we still do today at the Market Cross uh, is give history to Taylor. Well, the storytelling gene has been passed down a generation because <laughs> that is classic phenomenal storytelling. You save something <laughs> for the end. You make a reveal <laughs> and it delights the audience. It makes us gasp. <laughs> It was fantastic. I love that. Unfortunately, this is not an episode focused on storytelling, but it should be because I could probably talk to you for the next couple of hours on how yeah, that is oh, it's the beating heart of any great tour company, uh, a great experience. And it's the easiest way to add perceived value to uh, your product. It's just deliver it in a fantastic, in a fantastic way. But what I wanted to actually sort of look at with your company and the reason I wanted to talk to you was that you seem to have learned a few things over the last 40 years about treating your city right, about treating your employees right, and about understanding that you as a tour company exists in kind of an ecosystem that influences each other. And uh, I love another thing that I found on your website, which is that you have uh, a whole web page when we sort of learn about you, in which you, um, in your hero image, you say, the Mercat deal, good for you and good for Edinburgh. I wondered if you could dial in a little bit to the way in which you think about what you're doing as a walking tour company in the sort of context of being in Edinburgh. Well, the the idea of the Mercat deal um, I, is in some ways really simple. It's about looking after people. It's about looking after our team so that they then look after our visitors, who then look after Edinburgh. And it's Edinburgh where our residents, where our team live and work and thrive. So looking after Edinburgh, it looks after our team, which looks after our visitors. But, you know, so it's 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 a, it's a, a virtuous circle. It's a, and it's an interdependent relationship um, of those three together. Um, and I suppose over the years, it's just been tweaked to be, to become more clear um, and actually if I could even say that, that COVID almost gave us that gift of clarity where um, uh, at the beginning of 2022 we were recruiting and um, you know through the fog and pain that you know, that period was there were some things that were just so crystal clear um, and that's about looking after people um, and looking and doing what we love doing uh, which is giving history down good telling. So fundamentally, the the market deal is as a as a company is looking after our team um, in a way that they feel valued, they feel respected, they've got a job, they feel you know fulfilled by their um, every day. They love doing it. They are feeling um, valued. They have progress. They have promotion. They have a real living wage. Um, uh, they have paid holidays. They have a holiday home they can use. You know. It, it's, it's about looking after them and making sure they feel as yeah as, as, as wanted as possible. And the deal is that they then treat our visitors the same way and give that warm welcome and that they then feel valued uh, and respected and have this amazing experience of the city. Um, uh, and that relationship hopefully in turn means that they've connected with Edinburgh, with Merkit, with our team and will come back. Um, and they will choose us uh, in future. So the deal is all about looking after our team to look after our visitors, um, uh, to look after Edinburgh. That's amazing and simple, really, right? It's a virtuous circle. It 
benefit you, you you benefit your employees your employees benefit the community and the community is stronger and better which attracts visitors and uh it it just goes on uh, clearly since 1985 what was the and i do want to in a minute dial into the deal a little bit but i wanted to start by just saying what was the development of this ethos like over the course of your existence as a tour company? Was it something you did intentionally or did it just sort of arise out of the way in which you've always done business? Um, yes and no. Uh, I think it's fair to say when Merkit started, so going right back to 1985, um, it was run by history teachers uh, who therefore had full-time jobs and somehow managed to create and operate um, this walking tour company squeezed into the school holidays, which was obviously summer, October, kind of Christmas, New Year and Easter, which was supposed to be their holidays, of course, <laughs> but they did it. Right. Um, uh, so in the early years, you know, market was very much a part, and bearing in mind this was the, the 1980s, um, it was very kind of seasonal part time. And then, and that applied to the, the team as well, who were or seasonal kind of freelancers. And over the years, you know, it built up from the ones to twos to, you know, our peak, we had over 18 in our team um, pre-COVID. So the largest, in, not just in Edinburgh, but in Scotland, walking tour company. Um, and it it kind of through necessity. So we've always had this ethos. We're a family business. Dan started Merkit. I started working with Merkit uh, over 20 years ago. Um and I've done pretty much every capacity um, and role in the business over the years. Um, so we are a family business and we think and operate with that value set of looking after each other like a family. But there comes a point where it it needs to be more formal and it needs to be really clear exactly where everybody is. Um, I, and also security. Um, I, and... I'm sure many out there will, you know, recognize when you've got friends and friends working with each other for a long time and building up from a small to a medium business. Um, relationships can get tricky, especially when you're growing because there's pressure and um, uh, and success and the speed of that is different for everybody. So in some ways, the deal came from a need to, a need to just clarify exactly what the contracts were, and I don't mean contracts as in a legal contract, I mean as in the position and, and relationship we all have with each other, which is the deal. That's the deal. We look after you, you look after the visitors, the you know, and so that's kind of where the terminology came from. So it's evolved from absolutely the 1st of July, 1985, um, and it's taken twists and turns on its way, but it's it's absolutely from the heart and soul of what America's all about. So... Let's get into the deal a little bit because I'm really interested in the practicalities of how you take this very lovely thought. I mean, listen, it's a lovely thought. Let's all be a family. Let's support the community. But it's just a thought and it's just a nice web page unless it has actual practical applications to the people in the community. So, And that's what this whole podcast series is supposed to be about. How are we practically making an impact and and, uh, uh, doing that for our guides as a company and for our community? So you've broken down the deal into sort of five buckets uh, or five terms, security, fulfillment, opportunity, respect, and effective voice. And if you don't mind, I'd like to actually tackle each of those five. Just talk about them. Yeah. yeah. First of all, security. It seems like you're talking about job security. Uh, You don't give your guides bodyguards, but the things you're talking about... With security are about the security of knowing that I'm going to wake up and not be in a precarious position if I'm sick, if I uh, can't take a tour, uh, and I can pay my rent. So talk to me a little bit about the way in which you work with your guides to provide and your employees to um, provide that sense of security. Sure. Um, it, well, first of all, the five buckets. Oh, this is brilliant that you <laughs> described them as buckets. And um, those five terms are actually. Um, the five principles of the fair work agenda just so i, I don't take credit for having <laughs> um uh, uh, arrived at those five because they the underpin um as i say we'll go through is the deal uh security it's it's about trust um and it's about stability where um i think if to have a to have a happy life you need to be stable and know that you, in our case, Merkit, your employer, trusts you 
um, and values you. Um, and from that, you're, you know, so you're paid the real living wage, which tells you that you're valued. Um, you have a permanent contract, which is quite rare in our world. Maybe not so much now, but certainly, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And actually maybe COVID has taken us back a couple of years, um, you know, for seasonal workers, for tour guides, freelancers. It absolutely works for some, but for others, you just need that permanence, you know, you've maybe got responsibilities, you maybe got carer responsibilities um, and we trust you and we want you to be part of the team. We don't do seasonal contracts. We don't do zero hour contracts because you're part of market. That's the deal. You know, uh, we don't want you to disappear unless you, you do, of course. But, you know, from the outset, the, the tone and relationship is set that, you know, this is the deal. You know, we want to help you and and grow together. So that and fundamentally, Without security, I don't think you have a happy life um, and a secure life uh, to, to build and grow and enjoy yourself out of work as much as in at work, which is kind of the point. Um, and sharing, so we've got the profit share bonus where 10% of our profits are shared across the team uh, according to the work that uh, you did in the last year. So again, that shares the hard work that everyone has done for the year. It's shared back to everybody as a thank you. Um, uh, and and giving you know the security of, of time you know time is so precious and and uh, giving a, a rota schedule four weeks in advance six weeks in advance is our target really again shows trust in our team uh, planning ahead that stability uh, they can trust us um, uh, and um, it allows them to plan their leisure time, their caring time, you know, whatever it is they have outside, along with obviously when things do maybe, you know, not go to plan, so you have sick pay and so on there and that support uh, and pension as well. So it's just a big picture of the person um, outside of work um, and beyond the time that even they're at market and making sure they're as secure as they can be. When it seems like what you actually described is what in America we call a real job. Where you had... Okay. <laughs> it's what uh what my parents asked me to get for a long, long time. Uh pension, yeah. sick pay, uh stability. Let me ask you this. I I see two thoughts popping into the heads of a lot of our listeners. Um, how do you deal with the precarious seasonality of walking tours? Uh in other words, what are your guides doing as employees um the rest of the time? And also Let's start with that. How do you make sure that you're using them all the time? Um, okay, a couple of things. Firstly, we, we don't have employees. We've got a team uh, because I think language is really important. As storytellers, yeah. I'm sure you know that. Uh, yes, so, sorry. Uh, so that's the first thing. And in terms of it's not so much using the team, um, it's, it's making sure they feel their time is of value. Uh, so there's a couple of things that we do already and one that we've got literally, hopefully, well, of the press very soon. Um, so first of all, everyone's on a permanent contract. Um, I, they have guaranteed minimum hours. Um, I, what's about to be rolled out is living hours, um, which is a calculation whereby, depending on your rate of pay, so the real living wage is £11 an hour, um, you should be guaranteed an income of 16 hours a week in order, and that's called living hours. So it's not just having a living wage, it's living hours. So what we do is those guaranteed hours are year round. They can and will earn more in summer because as you say, that's our season, that's the reality of our world. Um, over winter, when the demand does drop, that's when we invest in training. So that's when you've got your CPD, that's when we've got annual reviews, that's when we've got you know real-time investment into the team. We've got our team conference. Um, so there's a lot of activity together to kind of bring the team together. Um, so yeah, that's how we do it. And it's, and it's valuable time. So it's not in a vertical commas using them. It's more about making sure they're, they're doing something of value to them and progressing themselves. And obviously market as well. Um, so it's fulfilling work. Uh, the second question I wanted to bring up was what do you do with the sort of insane trend towards last minute bookings? Do you experience it? Do you work mm -hmm. with especially OTAs? And what does sort of 
team fulfillment look like um, just in general uh, in in, yeah. in in the summer times for you uh, with um, you know with kind of this permanent structure, permanent contracts. Oh, it's like slam between your toes, isn't it? That kind of <laughs> the last minute, <laughs> the last minute um, uh, work coming in, um, and COVID has definitely taken us back. You know, a good couple of years in terms of that trend. Um, we had it in 2022. We are um, we for many reasons in the UK didn't have necessarily the the resource that we could have had or wanted to have to meet the demand. Um, so early on, we did recruit in March, April 22. Um, and I made the decision that we would we would work at capacity. So we would work according to the team that we have and deliver a quality experience for the team and for visitors. Um, so we reduced the number of tours that we operated, um, I, which um, in addition to the fact that we reduced the capacity per tour, so we reduced our numbers per tour by 40%. So... If I look at my 2019-22 occupancy is superb, uh, but you know overall capacity um, uh, uh, down, but by choice. So, in answer to your question, um, we draw a line because at some point you just have to draw your line and say you're sold out. Um, we we do try to meet demand. Um, uh, we plan out again, trying to get the rota that four six week out target. Uh, we don't always get it right. Sometimes it is later than that. Uh, and sometimes if we see some mad surge for a Tuesday in November, which does happen, then yeah, we will, you know, uh, see if there's anybody um, uh, looking for extra work. But by and large, we, we try to, because therein lies madness, really. If you keep trying to chase and chase and chase, at some point you need to draw a line yeah. because it causes strain and stress for the team for, yeah, at some point you have to draw a line. You're right. It's 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 hard as a business owner to look at money and just to say nope. But it's actually smarter when you consider the well being of the team and yourself and the madness, the hair loss, the stress that just <laughs> comes from trying to deal with that unpredictability. Let me ask you: When you're hiring your team members, what what are you looking for? What makes a great guide in in your experience, and I get it, storytelling, of course. Uh, but but I'm wondering, I'm wondering what you're looking for, and because you know, this is this is an investment. This is a big investment for for you. Absolutely, and we want it to be, and that's the deal. Um, yeah. So it's and it's, this doesn't just apply to storytellers. It's absolutely everybody in our team. It's attitude. It is attitude. You could, and we've had it where we've had some of the most compelling storytellers in the world in front of us, because, um, but you just know they're not going to be a culture fit. They're just not going to have, you can just tell the attitude doesn't work um, and it's not worth it. It's not worth it for them or for us. Um, I, so, you know, it's a very grateful and, you know, best of luck, but not for us. So yeah, it, it comes down to attitude because on the flip side of that, we've had, some on our team who uh, have applied for one role. Uh, I mean, yeah, a kind of administrative role. But then we've just seen that little, oh, there's that something, that spark. And, if, you know, they've come in in that admin role, but we've kind of watched and kept our eye and slowly nurtured and, and there we find the storyteller. But that, and that works right the way across the business. We make, we see people, not jobs, you know. Um, so, so, yeah, I think it's it, attitude for any role attitude uh, is what we look for you know that kind of mobility makes you feel alive you know i think about that in terms of even i i was a guide for a long long time and there were companies i worked for where i was told basically this is the tour and this is what you're expected to do and you feel kind of straight jacketed into this sort of rote routinized experience and it you just don't feel alive it sounds like you want your team members to feel alive and fulfilled. So the next category or bucket, uh, as I accidentally said, but we're going to go with buckets now, um, is fulfillment. Is 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 giving giving a sense of, I don't know, wholeness to your humanity uh, when you look at um, when you look at people. So do you, do you talk to me a little bit about sort of that word and what how how you apply that to your team? It goes back to trust. Um, uh, if we've taken somebody on. Um, in any role, then it's because we see that attitude and we and we trust them and we want them to be them. <laughs> like being really obvious about it. 
um, you know, obviously there's a job to be done um, and we've got standards and expectations, you know, as marketeers and our visitors, you know, standards and expectations. Um, and most importantly, we want everyone to be themselves. That's what the market deal is about. We are, you know, here to nurture and, and help you be more you um, in whatever role that may be. Um, and that builds trust um, and respect. Um, and, you know, we've not always got it right, by the way. Uh, you know, there have been times where, myself included, you know, it, we have tried to be more um, formulaic or, you know, more prescriptive in, in any in many roles. Um, and as you say, it just shuts that creativity down um, and, and that sense of trust and, and respect. So, yeah, it, it kind of, everything comes from that. And they feel more fulfilled because you feel trusted. So you do more and you, you're more motivated. Um, uh, so you feel more secure because it, it just all kind of, um, uh, again, back to that kind of uh, virtuous circle. I think, I think sometimes there's a a way of looking at 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 your guides or at your team as as both your best feature and also uh, uh, almost a threat. And I say the word threat because I've listened to sometimes operators talk about how they've watched their guides go and start competing companies, uh, taking the tours, taking the scripts and becoming a competitor. And I've, uh, I've, I've, I've talked to other operators who have said, well, they, they're, they're terrified of their guides almost unionizing or gathering together with such a firm voice that they collectively bargain against the company and they've experienced these things. And so I've heard from operators that say, I don't want, our guides talking together too much because wow. it, yeah. I, and, I mean, and, <laughs> and, and so, I mean, this, it's funny, you know, we're in a big world with a lot of different tourism environments around, around, <laughs> around that world. But I, I, I know for you, um, the, 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 the bucket of being an effective, having, giving an effective voice to your team is really important. I'm wondering what your experience has been of empowering your guides to make sure that they have a voice, a say, participation, and yet not in a way that kind of threatens you as the business owner, as the managing director. We've done it in a couple of ways over the years. Um, we've had a <clears throat> kind of formal um, a, a consultative committee, for example, which was members of the team um, who kind of elected members of the team uh, to come together as the market consultative committee and they could bring questions, observations, ruminations, whatever. Um, I, and I would meet with them on a, a bi-monthly um, basis. Um, and, you know, it was really open and it went backwards and forwards and it could be anything, you know, it could be really small, you know, can we get better coffee, um, you know, to, to, to bigger policy issues. Um, I, and to be honest, you know, that's, it's kind of an attitude of, I suppose, leadership um, and being available. And, uh, you know, and I would far rather be sitting, talking and hearing what maybe I don't even want to hear particularly or something I don't like. I'd rather still hear it so I know what I'm dealing with and then I can try and fix it and, and, and get around that. Um, you know, if, you, if you're seeing monsters and the shadows and threats and so on, then again, there lies madness and not much trust or in yourself even. Quickly say, I've been there, you know. I really am saying this from, from, I've got the scars. So yeah, I'm giving them the opportunity to talk, to listen, to ask. Um, and, you know, there are times where questions will be a bit spiky um, or a bit loaded. Um, and I've found actually the rest of the team can regulate, mm. if you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. if there is something that gets really spiky, then the rest of the team kind of balance it out. And if there was a riot and, you know, that's happened in the past over over issues then okay we'll talk about it we did deal with unions actually during covid unfortunately probably most people did um when we had to go through redundancies um and i have to say it was an amazingly positive experience surprisingly positive experience um from i think the team's point of view uh, but certainly from my point of view uh it was yeah it was very supportive and positive it's really that idea that you you see the you see the team as something to be controlled rather than empowered and I, yes. I, and 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 I, and I like that it, it it almost sounds like for you it solves itself because you've gone through 
a lot of work to create a culture, a sense of what you're about. How do you how do you instill that type of culture or the the meerkat way uh, through your training? Do you have kind of a a very sort of specific onboarding process? Do you have a way in which uh, you sort of welcome people into the team, either as guides or 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 admin members? Culture is so precious and, and it's like a cloud. You can't quite pin it down. Um, <clears throat> uh, you know when it's there and you know when it's, you know, and it's, it's, it's healthy. Each of the managers um, is responsible for recruiting their team. And I trust them implicitly. And they they then have a very hands-on training program, which is appropriate to the role. Um, so going back to what we said at the start there about that securities in terms of, you know, HR and payroll and, contracts and so on were absolutely clear and efficient when it comes to you know that reassurance of they know they're dealing with professional operation um and then move on to the really human kind of culture of market which is their line manager um very hands-on we're all very visible um i kind of again because of covid we all got hand you know front line and very happily so and still there um so it's not a kind of us them uh and when you know goes back to that attitude if we've been because we're very careful in our selection process it, it it's it's a long one uh, and it's quite cookie we get you know we, we play games we do an induction day where we get folk in to play games and kind of um it's brilliant fun but it's and it's very revealing because you can see you know even the shy ones or the, you know it just you can see everyone beginning to gel um but equally you can see if there's an, if there's just not an attitude fit with somebody then it's okay that's fine we're not for you, you're not for us, let's just not take it further because, again, we've learned from experience that that can have a really detrimental effect on, on others in the team. How do you collect feedback uh, from your guides? Do you do you have surveys? Do you have retreats? Do you meet together regularly? What does that structure look like? So we've got the formal and the informal. Um, uh, on, a, on a formal note, we have <clears throat> a, a twice a year, we have a, a full team meeting. So that is absolutely everybody across the team. So that's our frontline storytellers, our tour guides, um, our support team, our finance team, our sales, marketing, that's everybody. So we have that pre-season in February, that's a full day. Uh, and then we have our team conference again in November. So that kind of wash up for the year. Uh, and as part of either one of both of those, there will be um, guest speakers. So for example, we've done yoga in the past. We've had a nutritionist, um, uh, Autism Scotland, um, uh, 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 presented Carers Scotland um, uh, you know yeah so it's really interactive both those sessions uh, and there's workshop kind of with you know group activities so everyone's got a chance to to listen to chat to to uh, contribute um, so those are the two big formal ones uh, in the year in addition to that we have uh, ad hoc um, in-person meetings so for example back in September we had what it, August we had one about the cost of living crisis which of course is very um hot at the time and i really wanted to get everyone together to talk about it and that was after doing an anonymous survey which we do fairly regularly every every month about a topic or another um and it's really familiar with the team very trusted way that they'll share their voice and views because it's as you say it's anonymous um, and then depending on the nature of it we will follow up with an in-person get together so that can be, you know, 20, 30 of us um, in person. So we've got all those mechanisms. Obviously, everyone has a line manager um, uh, they can go to. Um, and I'm here at any point. Um, technically, I suppose everyone's line manager. Um, uh, so those are the formal routes. The informal routes, we've got um, Teams chat. We've got WhatsApp chat. We've got sticky notes on the, um, well, we don't actually now. Got rid of the sticky notes because they were not green enough. We now have <laughs> painted um, the uh, in the kitchen in the in the in the tea, tea room. We painted uh, all the the cupboards black, uh, and we've got chalk. So those are our chalkboards. So there's loads of wee notes and stuff goes on. You know whether it's Halloween or Easter and just nonsense goes up there. Um and uh, yeah, so it's a combination of the two. Um, depending on because it's all about what the communication is, isn't it? how formal or informal the the mechanisms need to be but it's regular and it's equal whether someone's a 35 hour a week finance manager or a you know <clears throat> 10 hour a week um supporting everybody gets the same communication that is valid the same wow there's there's so much to uh 
dive into there, but I'm just going to leave it broad and say, you know, things that things that I take away from what you're saying are number one, make sure you have a variety of ways of connecting to your team. That it's not just, well, we do this one meeting a year, uh, or we have this one WhatsApp channel or whatever, because different people come alive, I think in different ways and having formal is important because it does provide that structure for people that do like that feedback in those kind of routinized and predictable ways. And other people like to just know that they can approach their manager or whatever when they want. So it almost sounds like it's a way of making sure you're connecting with all the different varieties of just personalities and styles of being a human that, that you have in a team. We have a, we have a quality assurance scheme, um, which we've run since, um, tricky, like 12, 13 years now, where we have uh, our own quality assessors um, who are recruited um, and uh, run our assessment scheme, whereby every member of the team, a target is they have at least two um, uh, assessment visits a year. And the, very much the aim of that is to celebrate success, to give feedback um, according to market's expectations, because we, you know there are mystery shopper um, uh, shoppers out there that you know there's um, uh, suppliers that could do that but we're very careful in the people that we select to be the assessors that they really know market and what we're looking for um, however what we discovered some members of the team felt they weren't getting enough feedback so our storytellers obviously are key experience of our visitors um, but our quality assessors um, do what we call a 360 so as part of the assessment they potentially five points of contact that could be the website or phone email whatsapp um contacts that's a me- member of the support team member of the support team at the market cross when they're checking in then the storyteller then if they um depending on the experience there's another support team member in our mega seller when they have a refreshment and then another one as they leave the building so four out of five um uh, of the team in that experience are actually support team not the storyteller and storytellers you know can read TripAdvisor and yelp and google reviews and you know see all the comments there um but the support team felt that they weren't getting enough you know feedback and i which is absolutely fair because they're an integral part of the whole experience so for next year what we're doing is we're um, refining the quality assurance process uh to make sure that our we're celebrating success we're sharing feedback um and as i say you know, identifying training needs as well. And that is going to be a more personalized report, every single member of the team. So everybody gets feedback from the visitor um, and not just, you know, what's out there on TripAdvisor. It, it's time consuming. It's not, it doesn't make logical sense if you look at it from, you know, uh, an efficiency standpoint. And yet it seems to me what you're saying is it makes all the difference in the world when it comes to how the team feels about yeah. your company, about what they're doing, about, uh, themselves exactly so let's 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 zoom out now and i want to look at specifically an initiative that is more recent it's younger but it's uh part and parcel from my perspective with what you've always been doing at meerkat and it's your our stories your city initiative i was wondering if you could just tell me a little bit about 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 that it was born in three phases um, and the first was over 10 years ago. And that was when we started a partnership with a local social enterprise who are just just all on the road, neighbours um, in Edinburgh in the Grass Market. And they are the Grass Market Community Project. And they are a social enterprise that look after, build a community for those who are vulnerable, uh, excluded, kind of on the margins of society, where they have find themselves due to long-term unemployment or um, alcohol or drug abuse or, you know, just isolated. Um, and physically, the Grass Market Community Project bring, brings them into the heart of Edinburgh and looks after them. So you can see why it kind of very much uh, chimed with uh, who and what we are. Um, and initially, we went to them because uh, as part of the social enterprise, they have a woodwork um, uh, um carpentry and they train their volunteers up to get the craft of of woodwork um, and they actually sell the products so we went there for um initially uh to commission nine tables that we were going to have on site as part of our kind of hospitality suite and it kind of grew from there 
We then started to hire their meeting space every month for our leadership team meetings. Um, and then we used them for our team conference uh, space and then for our catering. So it just built and built. Um, and as I say, it was a real values match. You know, they look after people. And then uh, skip forward uh, to the kind of the second uh, stage to the how this came about. And that was five years ago when we had our team conference um, in 20, well, I suppose, six almost, um, in 2017. And at that point, we had a complete revision of our why. Um, you probably know, you know, Simon Sinek and the idea of the golden circle, your how, your what, your why. So we did that as a team. And at the time, there was just shy of 80 of us. And we just had to just rethink um, or check of why we're here. Um, and out of that, everybody was involved. It was a huge, big workshop with a lot of volume. It was brilliant fun. And we came out and realised why we are here, why market exists, is to make meaningful connections. Okay? With our visitors, with our city, with our locals, we make meaningful connections through storytelling. And at that point, I thought we do it every day on our, on our tours, our team do it over, whether it's over phone or email, or welcome at the Market Cross on our tours. However, there's just something in my head thinking that we can do more. There's more of a connection, a deeper connection with more people than just those that are here on our tours. So it was a kind of unfinished thought, I suppose. And then two years ago, in the height of the kind of the pandemic, um, whilst we were all isolated from our businesses, literally isolated from the chance to run our businesses, make choices about our businesses, uh, isolated from our teams, um, you know, what we love doing. Um, we were really excluded from just choice, really, weren't we? And um, I'm obviously really good friends with the chief exec at the grass market. And we kind of kept each other going as a, on a leadership level and a friendship level right away through the pandemic. And I realised um, through that friendship and that connection with him that whatever I was feeling and Merkit was feeling in terms of exclusion during COVID was nowhere close to what the grass market community members were feeling. And that is what they'd felt all their lives. And that is why the project exists. And it was then that the la that, that, that idea that had started five years before, that's when I realised this is where Merkit can help. And this is where our team have to help because we'd all been, you know, well, we, we we couldn't operate, we couldn't tell a story, we couldn't do what we love doing. And our team were kind of yeah, at a loss. So when we started um, to recover the business and started to recover doing what we do, which is making connections on tours with visitors, with our city, thought we can help the grass market members to reconnect with the city as well. They need it more than anybody. And for our team to know they were doing that skill that they love to share that storytelling and love of storytelling that they love to share but doing it for such an important audience who need it more than ever after such a horrible time we all shared during the pandemic it was powerful for everybody um it was going to win for the grass market going to win for our team it's going to win for the city um and the final bit the jigsaw was um including visitors so that they would make a connection with the city and our team and grass market and therefore hopefully a connection with the city forever um, that they would then uh, return and come back to. So that's where it all came from, it's like making those meaningful connections um, for everybody. So what's what's funny is, you know, at the essence, the core of this project is storytelling, but it's not storytelling in the way it sometimes gets used as kind of a buzzword and then you just talk. It's story as something really profound that connects humans and it has qualities all of its own. It has healing qualities and bonding qualities when 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 there's an element of vulnerability, when there's a real attempt to reach out and connect with the human and not just talk at them. And and, and, and so it's it's it, it shows the therapeutic and the profound quality of storytelling, I guess. Absolutely. You said it better than me. And uh, if you've watched our video about the campaign, that that is what we say. Stories can heal um, mm -hmm. uh, and build. Because part of the reason that the, the 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 members of GCP, the Grass Market Community Project, are, are isolated and are excluded is a lack of confidence. 
and a lack of knowledge of their city or feeling comfortable and confident to go and see it and hear it and own it. Um, and there's no reason for that other than they haven't been invited and they haven't felt welcome. And that's what our team give them, you know, to relax and to feel welcome and to feel respected. So, you know, it goes back to that respect and trust and value, really. Um, uh, and for our team who do it every day for visitors, but to do it for this really important audience where they can see the power of what they're doing. Um, yeah, as I say, it's a win for everyone. Tell me about the project on a practical level. Are you asking for donations? What are you, how are you interfacing kind of the, 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 your, your, your tour guests uh, from other countries around the world, yourself as an operator, and then the GCP community? Can you connect the dots for me on a practical level? When a visitor um, purchases a tour with Market Tours, they will see, hear, read the, the story of the Grass Market Community Project. Um, I, and that compelling story of how they support those people excluded from society, from Edinburgh, from their stories, from that sense of identity, um, and um, hopefully will be compelled to then donate. Um, in addition to having bought their own ticket for their tour, they will then have uh, uh, they will then have the option to donate a, a, an amount they wish to um, to pay forward in order that as that. Um, donation pot builds up um we then draw down from that um a hundred pounds 100 pounds which pays for 15 members of the grass market community project to do a three and a half hour tour with a market storyteller including either edinburgh castle or the palace of holyrood house or the national museum of scotland um or the national trust properties in the old town and the new town um and then as soon as as soon as that occurs, so obviously the donations build up, they're then drawn down, and that uh, that hundred pounds literally covers the cost of operating. And uh, it's obviously not for profit; it co- cost, uh, covers the cost of operating that experience. Um, and once that experience has occurred, we feed back immediately to those who have donated. Uh, they're called the Kuthi folk, uh, kind of Scots uh, term for you know somebody who's caring and thoughtful, and that's a community that is built up almost 400 donors now and we make sure that they hear and see direct from the GCP members um, what the experience was like for them and we step out at this point because actually what's happened is the visitors and the GCP members have had the same experience that's what's really important um, that it's the equality the equity sorry the equity of experience and the respect that is shown to the GCP members um, where they have exactly the same five-star experience as our visitors do. They have it, yeah. Uh, uh, and that bond uh, is shared through storytelling and through their experience of Edinburgh. So are you partnering then with those heritage sites, those attractions uh, uh, in Edinburgh? Absolutely, yeah. That was part of the uh, the project from the start. Um, I, in addition to uh, grass market, market tours, <laughs> The um, Edinburgh Castle, National Museum of Scotland, the Palace uh, of Holyrood House, and the National Trust. Also, Ewan's Guide as well. Ewan's Guide is uh, literally it's like a TripAdvisor site uh, for attractions, experiences, restaurants. Um, uh, launched a number of years ago now, um, and it covers uh, accessibility. So, um, any form of accessibility is fed back through the kind of this TripAdvisor style site of reviews, um, and. Um, we've worked with them for many years uh, on inclusion and help, you know, they've helped us train our team. They've helped us understand how to be as inclusive as possible. So they were really uh, involved as well to make sure that the experiences we're offering are as exclusive, uh, sorry, inclusive as possible uh, for the GCP members. So they were part of the project from the start as well. To make sure your exclusive experiences are very inclusive. Are inclusive. <laughs> um, <Yes>. Yes. <laughs> Uh, what was the process? This is all fantastic. What was the process like of building this kind of coalition of partnerships? Was it time consuming? Were people very kind of open? What, you know, what did it take to get this off the ground? Oh, do you know what was really tricky? <laughs> um, this is, uh, you know, behind the glamour, uh, I suppose. Um, it, it came about because there was a funding stream released by the Scottish government 
and it was called a, a tourism leadership recovery fund um and it had a really short uh lead time i mean it was i think two weeks um where you had to submit an application with your partners with your you know budget and projection and so on and bearing in mind this was in the the height of 2021 uh the summer of 2021 when we were all kind of catching our breath from a season we didn't know we were going to have and trying to recover from what we just had and yeah so it was really hard um and we didn't know we were going to get um uh, be awarded um anything um and if so how much um what was really crucial was right at the very start of the um submission I realized that we needed a project manager that was to make sure that it was because it was a very quick turnaround it had to be delivered by uh, the end of the financial year so that was March 22 um, and the only way that could be done whilst all of us were recovering slash delivering uh, <laughs> businesses out of COVID to make sure this project got the time it needed and deserved we got a, a project manager who ran it for five months from November when we we realised uh, we were successful through until March uh, 2022, and it was launched. So yeah, it was it was tough, it was tricky, um, and um, yeah, it wasn't ideal. But it kind of only became possible because that fund was available at that time because of that reason. If you know what I mean. So very great. And it and it sounds like the the deadline lit a fire and made made it made it have to happen. And do you know, and sometimes, yeah, you don't realise what's a gift. <laughs> um, yeah, it forced us to get it done. And it, and it has, yeah. and it's been amazing. Yeah. That's fantastic. The uh, I think the lesson there also is that, you know, wherever you are in the world listening to this, there are these grants, these streams of money that suddenly become available through governments, through NGOs, through all sorts of different sources. And a lot of them sort of only go to the people who are aware of them and being aware is half the battle. And then just getting that, getting, yeah, getting that grant written or, or whatever, whatever application is necessary, but there's so much out there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Completely agree. Yep. My, my last question, and I really thank you for your time uh, sharing the Meerkat story. I just want to ask you what kind of it means for you as a tour operator to make an impact. What does the word mean to you? Oh, I'll get emotional. <laughs> um, to make to make people feel important. To make whether it's your visitor or your team members feel the most important person in the world um, for who they are, um, whatever it is they bring to your to your to your business, to your um, to your culture, uh, or to the group that you're leading as a guide, because they will bring something. And if you can do that, if I can do that. Um, and make somebody, some people, feel the most important person in the world, then, yeah, that's the greatest impact. Kat Brogan, I'm not going to say another word because that was beautifully said, and I just want to thank you for not only spending your time with me, but for everything that you've done for Edinburgh and your father for getting this all off off and running with a damn good story. (laughs) The damn good idea. (laughs) 